Hi, if you're looking for greater hope, assurance, and confidence through the shifting sands of life, then join me on today's episode as we dig deep into the Bible to discover rock-solid truth for life and living from the God of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Keffer. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. As always, for a deeper experience, you can go to the show notes and download the blank insight sheet. Fill in the blanks along with the group. Depending on how you're listening to this, there will be a link to the episode website at beholdingbibletruth.com and a sheet with the answers is included as well. Enjoy today's episode. A fan of Sherlock Holmes. Love the Sherlock Holmes series. How many have read Sherlock Holmes? I love Sherlock Holmes. And how many have read Father Brown? Oh, Father Brown is really good. Father Brown is the he's Sherlock Holmes as a priest. And so Sherlock Holmes solves cases by clues, by seeing things that other people don't see. Father Brown solves cases, having heard confessions of people, he solves them by motives, which is very interesting. So the two are, are very similar. It's written by uh, G.K. Chesterton, a great defender of the faith in the, uh, in the early 1900s. So Father Brown and Sherlock Holmes. And I always love Sherlock Holmes would say to Dr. Watson, he would say, you see, but you do not observe. And of the belief that all wisdom is fundamentally from God, and you probably find it in the Bible, that's true, it's in Isaiah, right? He, he, he hearkens back to that very phrase, you see, and yet you do not observe. And so today we're encountering this idea that you see and you do not observe. We're going to counter this truth and we're going to see that we see and do not observe because we have a problem with what most photographers, most photographers uh, do. And they're really clear about where is their focal point? What do I look at and what do I don't look at? What do I bring into focus and what do I keep out of focus? Right. So we're going to see that Jesus is going to help us with that today. So we're in Matthew 24. We're going to read two verses. And as always, you're going to see that God has deep truth, right? Don't need a lot of scripture. Just need to have your shovel ready to go deep. Stand with me, if you will. We'll, we'll read it together out of reverence for God and his word. Jesus came from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus comes out of the temple. And it's both uh, actually, and there's a turning point because he's done with the scribes and Pharisees. So he is coming out of, if you will, both both physically, but also there's a turning from the scribes and Pharisees. So the temple. So I started to think about the temple. Let's talk about the history of the temple. History of the temple. The temp before the temple, there was the tabernacle. The tabernacle in the wilderness. I have a, a picture of a mock tabernacle in the wilderness. And the idea with the tabernacle in the wilderness is this. In Exodus 25, 9, he says, construct a sanctuary for me. Well, what's that for? That. That's a pointer. 
What's the point of the sanctuary? Underline that, that I may dwell among them. That I may dwell among them. And Exodus 40, 34 says, the glory of the Lord, underline that, filled the temple. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Easy to read that and think, oh, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Because we start with us and we think the glory of the Lord. What's glory? Does it mean brightness? It means, I mean, literally glory has this idea of heaviness, of weightiness, weightiness in value, weightiness in composition, right? Valuable and worthy and, and, and deep and strong. So I thought, how do we think? We think from where we are and we project up, which is what I said last week, God is not like us, only bigger. So instead, let's think of the sun. That's my favorite since it's also God's favorite because he's put the sun out there. So think of the sun. How many love to see the sun? When it popped out, right? I love to see the sun. You get winter and you think, where is the sun? So we were over in... Uh, Moscow in, yeah, what, 1994, what month? July. And it is um, White Nights over there. And White Nights is literally around midnight, the sun sets, it's up, it's down for about four hours, and then it shows up again at four in the morning. So you're out at night, we go out at 10 o'clock at night, and it was like midday almost, or late afternoon. And I thought about if you flip the calendar and come here in December, there's four hours of sun. There's four hours of sun. Only four hours of sun. I drink a lot of vodka too. <laughs> I mean, think about that, right? Why they're so good at vodka? Because boy, right, it's depressing, right, to not have the sun. So you think the power of the sun, there's life coming from the sun. 10,000 degrees, and it's at, on its surface, millions of degrees in the center. They haven't been able to get within a million miles of it because it will consume any, any craft that we send toward it. So let's imagine if we were going to say, I'm going to bring the sun and put it in this room. What would happen? Yeah, it would consume everything. Well, I'm, going to, I'm, going to bring, I'm going to bring the sun and I'm going to put it in this building. What would it do? If it got near the earth, the sun would consume the earth. So when God says his glory filled the temple, it's a speck of his glory. It's a reduced mini version, if you will, of his glory. That's it. Otherwise, it would consume. It would consume. So the mere fact that God would share his glory in a reduced, if you will, right, in a form that could fill a temple just shows the character and nature, the humility of our God to speak to us, to humble himself. It says to behold the things that are upon the earth, that his glory filled the temple. Why? That he might dwell with us. Really? Sometimes I can't stand to dwell with me. <laughs> I think sleep is God's grace. I get a break from myself. And I wake up again, and I can only take myself so long. God wanted to dwell with, it, with a people. Think about that. So God's glory dwells with man. That's the point of the tabernacle. This is where we meet. This is where we meet. 
And in in Exodus, it tells us that that God spoke with Moses like like a man speaks with a friend. That God humbled Himself to be in fellowship. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. So the point of the tabernacle was literally a mobile temple, if you will. It was a mobile place because why? Because the people were mobile. <laughs> they were on the move to the land, right? It's God's dwelling place. So there's a picture, and if you studied it before, you see the components of it, right? Inside of the tent on there is the Holy of Holies, where his the glory, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt above the ark. Well, let's look at First Chronicles. King David said, I had intended to build a permanent home for the ark. The ark is literally where the glory of God, right, rose over, and for the footstool of our God. I love that. For the footstool. God says, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. In other words, just get a just a glimpse of my power and my 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 glory. Heaven is my throne, the earth is kind of like my footstool. So he gives that sense. So he said, I wanted to build it, but God said to me, You shall not build the house. Why? For my name, because you're a man of war and you shed blood. And he says, What's the house? Underline that. It's a house for my name. It's a house for my name. The house for my name. And it's a great reminder, it's not your house. The temple was not for you, right? It's a house for my name, for my glory, for my reputation. He says, your son, Solomon, shall build it. And so the second is Solomon's temple. Solomon built the temple. Something that if you were around at that time and you were Jewish, there was great pride in the temple. Because the temple presumably had some, at least informed people about the glory of the God that they served when you looked at the temple. After 400 years, the Babylonians come in, they take the Jews out, and they destroy the temple in 586 B.C. 586 B.C. After the end of the captivity, the Jews who returned to Jerusalem had a heart to rebuild the temple, and a heart to rebuild the temple, and that one is Zerubbabel's, 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 right? Zerubbabel. 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 Yes, the known as the second temple, known as the second temple. Jews who returned to Jerusalem built a humbler version, right? A humbler version, Solomon's temple. Not possible. They didn't have the resources to build like Solomon's temple. Well, time went on, and the second temple was expanded by Herod, Herod's temple, as Herod wanted to put his hand upon everything, known as Herod's temple. It's the expansion of the second temple. And it supposedly took about 80 years to, to expand, and as they were getting close to the end, he employed 10,000 men for, for six to eight years, something like that. 10,000 men working on it every year. It had the size of about 144,000 square meters. It was essentially 27 football fields. So think about 
go downtown, you go to the Steeler game, think about 27 of those. Three football fields wide and nine long. Three football fields wide, nine long. That'd be pretty big, wouldn't it? Think about it, take up the whole north side. You think about that, right? Because it's hard to it's hard to kind of fathom how big that would be, right? It was huge. It was huge. It was made of pure gold. Imagine what it cost to build the temple. And there were white stones in it, which were 50 feet by 24 feet by 16 deep. We had a shed delivered. We had a shed made by the Amish delivered to our back. They had to put it on a hydraulic machine. How do you move 50 by 27, 16 feet deep? Think about how heavy those stones would be. No hydraulic machines. You didn't have bobcats. So lots of stone upon stone, right? And of course, for about uh, a thousand years, it was the center of Jewish life. Not only center, meaning kind of life ran around it, but literally it was the identification, if you will, right? Uh, around the temple. So Scott. Yes. So why would the Jews go into it and consider it holy of Herod? Well, he didn't touch the original. He expanded it. The outside courts, right? He expanded so it. Didn't feel it again, like he filed it. I don't know, but apparently not. Yeah, I mean they 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 used it for a long time. I don't think he messed with the the uh, uh, the sacrificial pieces. He just made the court large, as far as I know. Um, but not really sure about that. But thousand years it stood, and then in seventy AD, we know that it was destroyed. And the story goes that as they, as the Roman soldiers are uh, sacking Jerusalem, that they surround the temple, and at least very various versions of the story. One soldier, one drunken soldier, was one of the stories. Threw a torch in, and it just began. The fire began, and then it, the whole entire temple was consumed. And as it burned, the gold melted not surprisingly and it would go into the cracks of the stones and into the ground so the commander said take every stone take every stone not one stone was left every stone was taken stone upon stone so literally there was nothing left and then the the commander who was leaving at the end, Ernest Rufus, the uh, army general, he drew a plow over it as he left so that literally you couldn't see the ground. It was plowed under. Well, we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, not one stone will be left, is what Jesus says, not one stone will be left. Um, but we, uh, we also might know that Jeremiah said, oh, by the way, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, says this, Zion will be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem will become ruins. So hundreds of years earlier, not only that there would be nothing left on top, but literally that it would be plowed under. It would be plowed under. Amazing to me, plowed under. So I look at that and I think, okay, so what about us? What do we take from that. 
speak truth in God's word. Sometimes, sometimes, I can say oftentimes, although it could be oftentimes, we are looking to, right, and at. We are looking at and to the wrong things. Sometimes we are looking at and to. Verbs mean different things, of course. One is what we're focusing on. Two is what we're trusting in. So here we are, the context. What's the context? Jesus laments. He's lamenting over the lost and their future judgment, right? He's lamenting that these people are lost, that, they, that they're blind, that they're not paying attention. They will kill the messengers. And that their destruction, their imminent destruction, right, is for sure in the future. He's lamenting over that. And as they walk out, the disciples say, <laughs> have you checked out the buildings? I mean, they're amazing. This temple's amazing. Now, I don't know what they said or what their thought is. You can't, I mean, it isn't in there, but, you know, it was amazing. And as they're leaving, Jesus is leaving there, and they're saying, wow, these are amazing buildings. They said they came up, right, uh, to, they, they came up to point out the temple buildings to him. So they're saying, hey, Jesus, you check these out. I mean, you were a stonemason. You were a, a wood crafter. Amazing architecture, amazing construction. Guessing, pretty cool. So he's lamenting over the lost, and the disciples are pointing out the temple buildings. So I thought, it's probably true that we are more impressed by, and by our old nature, we worship the things that we create. We are more impressed by, and by our old nature, we worship what we create, what man creates. What are you talking about? Not me. Well, it says in Romans 1, we exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. We love images. Our sinful nature loves images. Beware today that you are being betwixt by HD images. Images that appear even nicer than life. I mean, you you know, you'll you'll watch a football game in HD and you think it's better being there. It looks better than life is 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 not HD. But it's because we are attracted to images. Make no graven. Yeah image but we're attracted to images it, it, it there's something in our nature that attracts us to images now notice what is the world today they're just following images all day long they're just scanning through images and now there's there's literally millions of them there's images everywhere from billboards to tv to right and so be cautious about the ht sewer pipe that comes into your Devices, just be care very, very careful about that, right? But there are great images on there, so pay attention. Why? It's our nature, it's our old nature to ex exchange the glory of God for an image. And they, ex they exchange the truth about God for a lie. That's our old nature. And worshipped and served created things. Underline that, served created things, served Creatures, sir, those, those things that are created. It is our nature to worship what we create, what we create. So be cautious. And I love this in Isaiah 44. It's a great picture. He says, those who fashion a grave image are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. So it says, hey, you go out, 
you look around in the forest and you plant a tree and you water it and, you know, and it grows and then you cut it down and then you fashion it into one of two things. Some of it, half of it, you put in the fire and you burn it. You make your stuff from it. You know, you cook your food, you warm your house, you, right? You, 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 you use the light to see things. The other half you make into an image and you bow down to that image. You pray to that image, you trust in that image. Well, we don't bow down anymore. We bow down in our hearts for sure. We bow down in our hearts for sure. So he says, no, he says, no one recalls in Isaiah, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I burned half of it in the fire. So in other words, right, notice, right, he says three things, right? He says, then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. Well, he says, recall, have knowledge or understanding. Three things. You don't remember, right? You don't know. And from that knowledge, you don't have understanding. In other words, understanding that applies to your life. You're in darkness. Why are you in darkness? You are deceived. The heart, Jeremiah says, is deceptively wicked. It's hard to think about. Remember, that's our heart. Our heart chooses and loves deception. We deceive ourselves just like we deceive others. He said, the deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver himself nor say, notice, is there not a, a lie in my hand? He's saying, you're not, he's not even able to see it. Like there's two pieces of wood. One you burn, one you bow down to. What's the difference? It seems so clear. But it's saying you don't remember, you don't have knowledge, and it isn't applied knowledge. That's our old nature. It is our old nature to want to worship the created thing, worship our own accomplishments, right? So the point is, we are, by nature, we've been redeemed from that, but our heart, we still have an old heart. Our heart wants to follow the lie. It just does. That's why he says, Scripture is super important. Why? It's living and active. Huh. And it's able. It's able. It has power. Right? It's able to judge, hmm. discern, separate, judge the thoughts and intentions of what? The heart. Right? Piercing, as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, I don't want my thoughts and intentions to judge, <laughs> frankly. Right? Because I judge them myself, and it's easy to lie to ourselves, isn't it? It's super easy. It's super easy. So that's our old nature. It's good to remember, right, that we are more impressed by, and our old nature worships what we create. I think about that, right? Isaiah cries out, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh God, the Lord God, right? And it says... The Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Huh. But I will drive around and I'll be amazed by buildings and stuff. I will. I'll just think, like, how do they build that? You know, that's really amazing. It's just amazing. And I don't think about that often. Oh, you built the mountains. Oh, you built the sun. <laughs> oh, the wind. I was thinking the other day, the, the, so I'm trying to think, here the snow comes. Oh, great. Now I have to 
shovel it. <laughs> then I said, Lord, the scripture says you have this in a storehouse somewhere. Where's your storehouse? Isn't that super cool? I just send some, I just send the snow. It's in the storehouse. Super cool. Right? So the whole earth is full of his glory. So he reminds us to be impressed by him. So I also thought, similar to being impressed by, we're also, we more easily trust. And by our old nature, we hope in and even idolize what we can see. We hope in and we idolize what we can see. It's our nature to trust in. Scripture says we walk by faith, underline that, by faith, not by sight. In, I think it's Isaiah 63, it says the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of the of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. Will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. Picture of the Lord Jesus, the anointing of the spirits upon him. And he doesn't judge by this stuff. Or make decisions by this stuff. Well, Lord, that's how we're wired. We see the world and we make judgments about it. And he's saying, no, that's why we talked about living inside out, right? The spirit of God, his word as he directs us. That's why if, I, if we're making, I was talking with somebody the other day, if we're making a major decision, like a, a move of a turn, that would be a major change on the daily decision. We ask the Lord for a scripture so that we can stand on that, right? And like I said, we were thinking about, you know, kind of talking about looking for a new, you know, build a new house. We've, we've done two before and we thought about that. So I said, Lord, you just let me know. What do you, what do you want? And, you know, within a couple of days or I don't know, a week or whatever, he just said, no, he gave me a scripture. It was really clear. No. Okay, done. Like, so major changes. Daily, if you're in his word and you walk with him, you don't have to wait for the writing on the wall. But if you're making a major turn in your life, right, change of jobs or, you know, change of city or whatever. For us, we like because I want to stand. Lord, you said this. This is a promise. I can stand on it. Does that make sense? Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, right? Standing on the promises, right? We walk by faith. What is faith? Right? So when Josh and Marianne close on this house, they will get a deed, a title deed. The title deed would be if somebody shows up and they can say, hey, we own that house. And you pull up the title deed and said, no, I own this car. I own this house. I own this retirement account, whatever. We have a deed, if you will, title deed. That's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, title deed, of things not seen. You have a title deed, the things not seen. Yeah, but I like to see, right? I, I, this, this makes me comfortable, right? I hold on to things. How do I hold on to those things I can't see? They're visible. But he's saying they're real. They're realer or as real as the things which we can see. So it reminds us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In hope, we have been saved. So he says, hope, you don't hope for what you have, do you? You don't hope for what you see. 
right? So we're saved in hope. Right, hope for what? Our, our, our resurrection, just like the Lord Jesus. When we see him, we'll be made like him, right? We will dwell with him eternally. You don't see those things. While we look not, it says in 2 Corinthians, underline not. In other words, if you're going to live as a Christian, we have to learn to look not at the things which are seen, underlined, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. Things which are not seen are eternal, everlasting. Don't wear out. It says that our inheritance is eternal, incorruptible, unchangeable. It is preserved. It is guarded in heaven for you. Nobody's getting to your inheritance. The Lord himself preserves it. So we need eyes to see, don't we? How do we get that? Well, Paul prays that, and I pray that for you, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. To what? Know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power for you as you believe. The surpassing greatness of his power toward you as believe. Well, what's that power like? He said, that's the power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, seated him at his right hand. Well, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every demonic level. Well, rule, authority, power, dominion, and God gave him a name. What name is that? Name that is greater than every other name. The only name by which you may be saved, right? And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So he says, we have to look at the things not seen. Set your mind on things above, it says in Colossians 3. So here's a question. Today, we talk about this. What seen things are you looking to and hoping in? What seen things are you looking to and hoping in? For example, you look around and let me say the world is insane. It's not insane. It's in Satan. So to the prince of the power of the air. Why is this a surprise? It's also under the sovereignty and authority and the providence of Almighty God, who is moving all things to the end of times in which he will sum up all things into Christ. That is unseen. What do I see? An insane world where lots of megalomaniacs are trying to take control of the world through fear and, and power and all the things that's going on. you got Klaus Schwab and all this stuff that's going on in Davos right now. They are planning for and, and letting you know, we, we want to take control of the entire world. We want to take control of your health. We want to take control of your mind. And as that goes on, that's what's seen, isn't it? Let me say that's pretty scary. Yeah, and you look at America, what's going on, right? Same way. All the things that are seen are pretty scary, which is always a clue to me. Warning, it's the idle warning light. I love certainty. I love comfort. I love safety, right? I love all those things. Who doesn't? We talk about that. Like, who doesn't? Nobody's going to pray for, Lord, bring, you know, bring not peace, <laughs> right? So we love all that safe. The, the, the problem is when we love it too much. Yeah, when we love it too much. It's easy to love what we can see, to hope in it, right? Look to it and hope in it, right? Where all our plans are based upon it. Does that make sense? 
So he's saying to them, the temple is going to be destroyed. Don't you understand? This is fading away right here. This is fading away. So it's good to say, okay, right? John Calvin said our heart loves to create. It's a factory. It's an idle factory. One after another. They come out of there like on an assembly line, don't they? So just pay attention. He's just saying pay attention. That's why his word is essential to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And as you look around the world, I always say you should have two buckets. One is the bucket that you can control. Very small bucket. The other is what I would call the black hole. It's the black hole of the uncontrollable. It's the black hole of the uncontrollable. In a black hole, there is no light because the gravity of the black hole sucks literally the light into it and consumes it. And the black hole, right, is out there. It's media. It's all the stuff that you can't control. How much during your day are you in the black hole? About with things you cannot control. I mean, I look at that stuff and I think, okay, that's bad. But there's zero I can do about it. Except be depressed or be hopeless or be frustrated or aggravated. or and It doesn't seem like anything that comes from that is helpful. So my answer is shut off all media. Oh, how would you know what's going on? What do you need to know that's going on? Do you presume that what they're telling you is going on is actually what's going on? It's not. It's like today it's outright propaganda and they don't even pretend to lie. Used to pretend to lie. Now it's just lies, right? So what's the point? Well, you got to know why. If it's really bad, somebody will come up like you and tell me, did you hear? <laughs> right? Just start to think, what, what am I doing in, in the black hole of uncontrollable? In the uncontrollable black hole. So my point is there, let God be God. Because the uncontrollable bucket is his bucket. And it's not out of his control. So I said, he knows what will be done. He knows when it will be done. And he fulfills all his purpose and plans. He fulfills them all. It's like he said, the temple is gone. Well, it took 70 years. What? On time. In the fullness of time, he sent forth his son. In the fullness of time, the temple was destroyed. In the fullness of time, the world will be summed up into Christ. In the fullness of time, he will call you home. In the fullness of time. His time. So he reminds you and me in Isaiah, I am God. Just underline it which is inherent, and you are not. I am God, and you are not. Because he says, and by the way, there is no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. The end of the world, the end of your life, the end of America, the end of Alexander the Great's reign. I mean, it just said all of a sudden, he, he was done and he died. Okay, it was the end. He declared the beginning. He declared the end. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been, uh, uh, scarcely have their stock taken root. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root. But he merely blows on them and they wither. 
and he carries them away like chaff, right? So he'll let them be for a time, and then it's done. So he says, right? Uh, from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish how much? All my good pleasure. Not some, but all. Truly, I've spoken truly. I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. I will do it. So he reminds us here, the temple, you, you, you could have said, oh, we're going to protect it, and it's never going to be torn down. Lord say, no, my purposes will be accomplished. And it's a great reminder here. It's not about the temple. And it's not about the tabernacle. It's all about Jesus. The temple and the tabernacle always pointed to Jesus. Sounds like the gray squirrel issue. Johnny, little Johnny in Sunday school. It's gray. Furry lives in a tree. I don't know. It sounds like a squirrel, but the answer must be Jesus, right? <laughs> Well, the fact is, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> the tabernacle and the temple are a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. They're a shadow. So if I see a shadow, what do I know? There's light, and there's a solid object which is creating the shadow, of course. He's saying the temple, the stuff in there, was a shadow of heavenly things. The solid is in heaven. The Old Testament priests offer the gifts according to the law, and they serve a copy and a shadow. Where are the real things? In heaven. Oh, oh, that's pretty cool. And we have the Most High. And by the way, the Most High doesn't dwell in houses made by human hands. Duh. You're not putting the sun in this building i mean th he's saying think about it right think about it as the prophet says heaven is my throne the earth is my footstool the footstool of my feet what kind of house will you build for me go ahead build me a house how big should it be i mean think about it and he says oh by the way um was it not my hand that made all the things that you would use to make the house so why do i need you to make a house I made you, I made the stuff. I don't need a house to rest in. I don't need a house to rest in. Is that a great reminder? And I love the stuff. He said, I created the stuff. I don't need the stuff. And Jesus is the high priest. He is the high priest in the true tabernacle. I love this. It says in Hebrews, we have, we have such a high priest. Where is he? He's taking his seat at the right hand. What's the right hand? It's the seat of power and favor. It's the seat of inheritance. It's the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary. What's the sanctuary? It's the true tabernacle. Well, who pitched that one? Yeah, you pitched a copy. You pitched a copy. Minister. So that picture I have on there, uh, on the front, is literally miniature, right? That one's full size, but the, the the Solomon's temple is a miniature. Somebody somebody built it. He's saying that's not just like that's not the real. <laughs> the one the one you made the temple is not for me, right? So Jesus is the high priest, and he is in the true tabernacle which the Lord has pitched. What does that mean? That he is the high priest, that he's at the right hand of the Father. 
That means he is able to save forever those who come through him, right? He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Why? Why is it possible that he is able to save you forever? Because he ever lives to make intercession for you. He ever lives to make intercession for you. Those flippy say those flippy sayings, which have a have a, a kernel of truth. Once saved, always saved. Are so they 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 make the truth of God so irrelevant and pedestrian and and junk. It's just junk, right? You have to. He says, "Why? What's the point?" He is able. He who Jesus is able to save forever. Those who, who come through him. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession for you. How can he do that? Because he is, the, he is the sinless one. He is the lamb. He is the lamb who was slain. And at the end of the days, there will be myriads of myriads. Like, you'll look in every direction. I try and close my eyes and think about this. Imagine if you could look and there would be people that you couldn't even see the end of. Right? And it would say, like, but with a loud voice, they say, worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and might, honor, glory, blessing. And then it says, every created thing which is in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, I heard them all say the same thing. To him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. All right? They worship the one. That's why you are saved forever. You're saved forever because he intercedes, because I have a high priest. It's not because it's once saved, always saved. No, I have a high priest. I have a high priest who intercedes for me. It says in First John, if any man sins, we have an advocate. Who's the advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Huh. That's why I know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. In his righteousness, he forgives us. If he didn't, he wouldn't be righteous because Jesus was slain. His blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. His blood was shed for me. And I love this. It says, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And I think, oh, walked among us, right? Moved among us. No, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It's literally the word. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us, as in dwelled in the tent, as in in camp, as in the tabernacle, as in the temple. Don't you understand? He's saying that was me all along, pointing, pointing to the one who would tabernacle among you, God's glory with us. That's what it is, right? The, 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 the tabernacle was God's glory with us, right? The glory of the Lord filled the glory of the Lord filled Jesus, of course. The glory, glory as all of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. It says no man has seen God at any time, but Jesus, the only begotten God, he has brought him out into the open. The glory of the Lord tabernacled among us. The uncontainable stepped into a container and showed forth the glory in such a way that we weren't consumed by it. That we weren't burned up by the light and the power. We saw the glory, the glory of the Lord Jesus tabernacled among us. Is that cool? 
So what about now? <clears throat> Growing into a holy temple in the Lord, being built together into a dwelling of God, a dwelling of God. Who is that? You also, as living stones being built up as a spiritual house or holy priesthood to offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Sacrifice of good works, sacrifices. God's people are his temple now. God's people are his temple now. Lord, I think we should have used Solomon's temple. I think it looked better. It's a better representation of you. God's people, us, and all our brokenness and our sin, we're his temple now. God's people or the church. We've heard that before. We don't go to church. This isn't the church, right? But it's become easy to say, right? Where are you going? I'm going to church, right? Right? We think of it as the building. He said, no, no, we are the church. God's people. Which I say, Lord, what, what is that? That's your plan? Your purpose? Over time fussing? You look at it now and you think, oh, it would have been great in the beginning. Then you read about the beginning and it's no different than now. They were fussing and fighting. There was, you know, there was truth. There was deception going on. There's power struggles. Or all that stuff was happening all the way along. This is his plan and purpose. But he says, we don't hope for what we see, do we? We hope for what we cannot see. Well, what is it that we're hoping for? God with us eternally. That's the hope. God will tabernacle with us eternally. That's what we hope for, isn't it? That I'll be made like him and I, I will. he will tabernacle with us. So he says in Revelation, which was also prophesied in Isaiah, I saw a, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The temple was destroyed. Jesus said, new temple. He said, the heavens and the earth, right? How will that happen? What will it be like? I don't know. I don't know. Those are all the questions we ask other than the old will pass away, the new will come, right? Just like with you. I heard a loud voice from the throne. What did it say? Behold, the tabernacle, huh? tabernacle of God, the glory of God will do what? It's among men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. That's the whole point of the tabernacle, God's glory, God's people. What would that be like, Lord? God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear. Elaine, that girl, is broke. she's broken, right? She's broken. How many have shed tears in life because of brokenness, pain, right? Loss, I mean, all the things. He says, I'm going to wipe away every tear. There isn't a tear that you have. In fact, he says for sure, there isn't a tear that you shed that he doesn't have it in a bottle. What's that mean? It isn't lost. There isn't a tear that's lost. Just like there's not a prayer that's lost. There's not a tear that's lost. He said, I'm going to wipe them away. There shall no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain. Mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. 
and in the sense of not to be remembered anymore. What would that be like? I don't know how we'll remember, but certainly not from pain, right? He will have washed that all away. So God will tabernacle among us the glory of God in fellowship with man eternally. That's what we hope for, isn't it? All right, write down an insight from the temple, from our inclination to be impressed by what we create and easily trust in it. I know that the tabernacle and the temple have always pointed to the Lord Jesus. They're a picture for us. Write down insight and we'll share with you. He is our blessing, right? And he is our only hope. And he is a solid hope. <laughs> for sure, right? He's a for sure hope. For sure. I love when I think just even physically that, like, one of the things that you can do is change your physical, right? To change your 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 mindset and perception, change your. So what does scripture say? Look to the mountains. Well, where, where do I have to look when I look to the mountains? Oh, from whence does my help come? Then ask the question, right? My help comes from the Lord. Oh, the maker of heaven and earth. The idea is to change, right? Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his days, it says he looked up and his reason resumed to him. And he said, oh, your kingdom's an everlasting kingdom, your dominion from generation to generation. So literally, right, physically, look up. You just change your, right, when you're feeling down, look up. Who else? There's two. The first Exodus 25. Nine should be eight, and then the Jeremiah 26 one should be 18. Jeremiah 26 18, right? Um, yeah, Gretchen said it was in Micah, and you said it's Exodus what? Uh, 25 8 rather than nine. So, many gifts today, many really gifts good. today. Okay. There was a couple last week as well, but we're not going to go there. Uh, just a, a comment about uh, your images. Uh, we've taken to a new level. Uh, Photoshop now allows us to do false images, right? Cut and paste. And now it looks like AI is coming to the scene with yet another step above to make even more attractive but false images so your uh, comments about isaiah 46 i take into a passage in uh, Acts 17 where paul is at athens right Acts 17 24 god who made the world and all things in it since he is the lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all people life and breath and all things. That's a that's a really powerful passage to sum up his sovereignty and his control. Amen. Well, pray for us, if you would, Roger, please. Father God, we are humbled once again to get a better understanding of your person and how great you are and how feeble we are. But Father, we humbly fall at your feet. And we uh, submit to you and your ways. And we uh, we make our bucket small and your bucket large. Things that are in control and things that are out of our control. Help us in discerning that and not to fuss over the things that we have no control. 
And Father, help us to take the long view. Help us to look, uh, as I was just said here, look beyond that um, the things of this world are of temporary nature and create anxiety. But uh, as Pastor Dave said last evening in his sermon, uh, we have eternal security. We cannot let the things of the opposition and persecution and anxiety now confuse us when we have eternity in store. Just as this lesson wraps up, we have eternity reserved for us. And Father, we thank you and we are in deeply in gratitude for what you have done. Thank you for this lesson, Father. Be with us now as we go about our day. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And may the King of heaven, the God who created the heavens and the earth, may he bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance and grant you shalom deep in your soul that you would know that he is the Lord, the God who tabernacles with you and may be with you now and always. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you have greater hope, assurance, and confidence in your life and a deeper trust in the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you His peace, His shalom in your soul and in your life. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.